0: Lily and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you so come visit us on Sundays at 9 30 a.m or 11:30 30 a.m at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willets Road in Albertson, New York. Now Beacon is a non-for-profit and if you shop Amazon you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon.
1: So there's actually been a little bit of confusion about this series. When we first said we wanted to do this other hard question series, I was actually referring to the questions we put out on social media, like what came first, the chicken or the egg? We asked you guys to send us a whole bunch of things, but I wanted to talk about why don't birds fall off of trees when they sleep? Like that to me is a really good question. I think those are the kinds of things we should talk about. Or like when they called dog food new and improved, like who tasted it? And how do you even know that a dog would consider that new and improved? Like these are really difficult questions. So we ask you to send us questions like these and you start sending hard things. (laughs) We're getting all of these questions. They're like, you know, you know, is the Bible reliable? Didn't, Didn't science already contradict the Bible? And like what, you know, how come bad things happen to good people? Like hard questions. I don't know what you're expecting. I'm like, I'm like and on Easter you think I'm crazy? I'm gonna take on questions like this. So if you're here for that, I'm sorry. I' just it was a bait and switch. No, I'm just kidding it's not actually a bait and switch. If you're here because we said, hey, we are actually going to go after some some hard questions during this series. We are really going to do that and uh, today is a particularly challenging one. We're going after the question, is Jesus the only way? to heaven. And this catches a number of really related questions like it. Is it true that Jesus and the church claimed that Jesus was the only way? We have to start there. And isn't that an exclusive claim, which makes it very arrogant and offensive? And therefore, shouldn't we reject it because of its arrogance and offense? This is actually one of the most serious problems that people have with Christianity. Ask around, talk to your friends who uh, don't come from a faith background. And this idea of an exclusive claim to truth and salvation is deeply offensive. It, Christianity comes along and says, listen, we, we have the key. And This is a serious key, but we have the key. Right? And so the key is all that really matters. And I understand why this idea would offend people. I mean, one key, but there's so many people and so many differences and so many paths. And you're saying, there's one key? Really? Come on. Get a grip. I understand why this offends people. I mean inclusivity is all the rage, and In the inclusivism. It says that all religions are true; they're all equal. Mahatma Gandhi he said it like this: "My position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal." I mean, who wants to disagree with Gandhi, right? I mean, come on now. Of course, there can you start to see things like this, and you start to you start to question: How could it possibly be? True, and this really fits with a massive trend over the last century where more and more people are not only holding to inclusive positions, but they're increasingly hostile to exclusive beliefs. Oprah Winfrey, one of the biggest mistakes, look at that, mistake humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. Or Rabbi Boteach. I am absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. I and mean, who wouldn't want to be able to go down that road? The idea of one key locks and and, and gates and and one way in, one way out. I mean, this is difficult. So there's this powerful emotional appeal to the ideas related to inclusivism. And I'm not trying to offend anybody here this morning. That is not in any way my intention. And I don't want to get anyone angry or anything like that. You know, I mean, it's Easter for crying out loud. But I do hope to wade into some controversial ideas here this morning. So we start with a a softball. Does Christianity make this claim? And the answer is yes. The Bible makes that very clear uh, at numerous points. Now, some of you might say, well, but you can't really use the Bible yet because we haven't you know, talked about the Bible, and I don't really trust the Bible. I don't think it's reliable, and that is true. I can only cover one topic at a time, and that's not the topic for this morning. But we are covering that topic later in the series, so I really do hope that you come on back for, for it when we uh, talk about the reliability of the text. But what I'm asking you to do today is just hold judgment on that uh, and, and hear me out. Uh, And just just consider that the New Testament records really do accurately capture what Jesus and the apostles and the early church taught. Just like like the the statement, the creed that we just read, just assume that with me, that it at least accurately, I'm not asking you to to decide whether or not you think it's true, just that it accurately captures what was taught. And we'll talk a little bit more about that again in in future weeks. So we start in the scriptures. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This was the Apostle Peter or Saint Peter talking to a large crowd of incredibly devout people. He's talking to religious leaders and deeply spiritual people. And he's saying to them, listen, I know you're really good. In fact, morally, these were some of the best people around. When you compare them to the dominant Roman culture of their day, these people were morally spectacular people and incredibly sincere. I mean, many of them would have died for their faith. And Peter comes on the scene and he says, it doesn't matter how good you are. And it doesn't matter that you're really, really sincere. It doesn't matter that you're a religious people. There's one way. Another place is from the Apostle Paul or St. Paul. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. One way. I mean, listen, this, this key, not, not going to work on this lock. I mean, maybe I could try to beat it off or something, but it's, it's not the way it was designed. There is, this lock really only does have the one key. And that's what he's claiming here. There's one mediator. There are no other prophets needed. And that means not Muhammad and not Joseph Smith. It means no other mediators, no co-mediatrix like Mary. This is what Christianity has long claimed. I know lots of people, they want to believe that all roads lead to heaven, that we're all just going up the mountain on different paths, and then ultimately we'll all get to the top. I mean, who wouldn't want to believe this? But I want to I have you open up in a Bible here this morning. We're going to actually, it's John 14, 6. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand. The ushers will, will bring you a Bible. In fact, they'll bring you a Bible. It's a—it's an easy-to-read translation. It's called the New International Version. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, this is for you. So after today, just take it home with you. We would love for you to have it, for you to read it. You can think of it as an Easter gift uh, but the reality is we give them out every week, so it's not really an Easter gift, but it's Easter, so it's your Easter gift. Um, and so you just stick it in your basket, and it'll be like you gave it to yourself or something. So, But anyway, we would. Love, I just want you to read it because it, 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 somehow it's helpful for us to see this in the Scriptures and know that it is actually coming from Jesus himself. You see, the early Christians were called followers of the way, the idea that we're Christians—that was given to us by outsiders. That we were called Christians—it wasn't the name we had picked for ourselves. The group themselves—they were called the people of the way or the way. It's kind of a funny name. I guess I'm glad it didn't stick in some ways, but uh, because it just it sounds odd. But anyway, they got it from this passage, John 14:6. Jesus answered, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." And no one comes to the Father except through me. This is Jesus, right? The guy that we talk about, he, he, you know, this guy of love and all of this of wisdom and, and some of the greatest moral teachings that the world has ever seen, handed down to us, the preacher of peace. And he says, listen, there's one road, one way, one path. There's one gate. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It is increasingly popular today to say something like listen I follow Jesus and I trust in him but that's only for me others don't have to it's good for me it works for me it works for my family but others don't have to and Jesus rejects this idea outright because from his perspective that is the cruelest of lies so they make the claim Jesus himself made the claim aren't these exclusive claims of Jesus arrogant and offensive? This is an interesting question. Again, I I just want to get it out there. I'm not trying to offend. I just want you to think through this with me here for a little bit, please. And this might be just a little bit confusing, but just stick with me. So everyone has exclusive beliefs. Everyone. And we don't think of it in these terms, but... Certainly all religions have exclusive beliefs that will almost always mean that other people will not reach heaven or nirvana or paradise or call it whatever you want, but it's it's more than that. All thought systems and philosophies have those who are excluded from what this belief system says, including the inclusivists. And I think that's a key thing for us to understand. So think of it like this, all right? So we got this, we got this fence, right? And so you've got a fence which is designed to divide. And so on, on one side of the fence, let, let, let's have all of the inclusivists because what they've said is that anybody who excludes another person is wrong. If you exclude someone, you're on the other side of our fence. Because the inclusivists are correct in what they say. Which means the exclusivists are left out on the other side. They're wrong. The inclusivists go on to say, yeah, and, and it's, it's wrong and it's backward and it's, it's narrow-minded to think any other way because those are exclusive beliefs. You can't have exclusive beliefs and actually be an, uh, an intelligent and open-minded kind of person. The problem is, The inclusivists have excluded the exclusivists. See, it's a self-defeating argument. Just by making it, you've already admitted that you are able to exclude. And so if, if everyone who has an exclusivist position is wrong or backward, then the inclusivists with a remarkably exclusive position are equally wrong and backward and ignorant. See, it just, it self-defeats. And by the way, just because people hold to an exclusivist worldview, that doesn't mean that they have to hate people. It often does end that way, sadly, but that's not actually what we see throughout the scriptures. In fact, it isn't my own experience. I've had great conversations with people who disagree fundamentally with me. Some of the best spiritual conversations I have had have been with my uh, rabbi friends or with uh, my, my Muslim friends who in college, we would debate. We would we would go break the fast of Ramadan. We would debate for hours. And, and it was an exciting and engaged conversation because all of us believe the stakes are real, that it's important. And there was no hate and there was no... Uh, frustration or anger or anything like that. It was just good, honest pursuit of truth. So are these exclusive views of Jesus arrogant and off- offensive? And I'd say, well, that, that depends. It depends on whether they're actually true. And you might go, oh, brother, really? Truth? That's going to be your answer? Really? I mean, in this enlightened age, you're going to start. What is Truth? You know, not unlike what other historical figures have asked. I mean, haven't you heard of the blind men and the elephant? Of course. I mean, who hasn't heard of the blind men and the elephant, right? So the story goes that there's a group of blind men, and they're walking all together down a road, and they come across an elephant. And, of course, because they're blind, they don't know that it's an elephant because they, they can't hear or smell or whatever else. And so they're, they, they, they're, you can't really mess with the story, though, because it doesn't work if you, don't, if you mess with it. So, but, so you, 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 you come up, and you find. And so one guy reaches out, and he goes, we've come across a tree because he's got his, his hand on the leg. And another one says, well, yeah, no, a tree. No, this is a wall because he's got his hands on the side. And another one's like, oh, you guys have lost your minds. It's clearly like a snake because he's holding on to the tail. another one's like, you guys, what are you talking about? This is some sort of paper material because he's got his hands and around and on the ear. And so around and around they go, all with their little bit of truth, but all, of course, missing the fact that it is an elephant, So the story goes, well, that's how all the religions are. We all sort of go about and we have our own little bit of the truth. But, you know, there isn't any real truth, which is fascinating because, of course, what you're really saying is that every single person is actually wrong, which is their argument to say, well, that's because truth can't really be known. But that's not really what the story says, is it? Because from the vantage point of the narrator, it's actually an elephant. And if you'd given the guys even just a little bit more time to explore it, they probably all would have figured that out as well. You see, the, the, the story itself betrays the reality that there is objective truth that can be found. Which, by the way, I thought it would be really cool if we did this. So I wanted to rent an elephant for this morning. I thought it would be so cool that we have an elephant. We blindfold some people. We see if actually, like, we could do this. What is this? If anyone was like, it's a piece of paper or whatever they would say. But, you know, it's remarkably hard to rent an elephant. Like it's, and and if you did do it, this is New York. I'm like, you should totally be able to rent an elephant for like a special event, which you could, but they're ridiculously stupid, expensive. And I was like, I'm not doing it for you, but it would have been so cool. You'd be like, we went, it was Easter. We had elephant. It was, anyway, where was I? Um, Not on elephant. Anyway, so the point, aren't these claims of Jesus arrogant uh, or offensive? So if a doctor told you, listen, you need a life-saving procedure and I am ranked as the world's foremost surgeon on this procedure. If you don't have this procedure, by end of year, you will be dead. But if you get this procedure, you will live a long and happy life. And I'm your best shot at it. And you're like, oh, I don't really know. I'm not buying it. And so you get your second, you get your third, you get your fourth opinion. They all kind of point back and they go, actually, yeah, it's true. He's really the best at this. And he's got like, you know, definitely the one you're going to want to go to if you're able to get in because he's your best shot at living. Now, so is this arrogant for the doctor to say this to you? Is it somehow offensive? I mean, even if you did some weird, bizarre reason, find what the doctor is saying arrogant and offensive, it doesn't mean you should reject it. You can't just simply reject an idea because you find it somehow offensive or it cuts against the grain of what you want to believe. Not if it is true. And what if Jesus was telling the truth? What if he is trustworthy? And what if he knows more about us and about eternity and about what we were made for? What if he simply knows more? And what if what he is saying is true? I also want to explore another assumption. Is Jesus making an exclusivist Claim here at all. You see, many view the message of Christianity from this sort of vantage point of who is excluded, right? There's a fence that separates the people, right? And the people get to divide themselves along all sorts of very predictable lines. And what happens is a group of people come along and they go, actually, we're in good shape here because we know how to get in. So they open up their gate. But, you know, they built this fence because they want to make certain that the people who aren't like them are left on the outside. This is kind of the picture that people have. And so what ends up happening is is all of the Christian-minded people, they go inside this gate and they end up saying, you know what, what we need to do is make sure all the people that are not like us, all the people who, you know, are the sinners right? And they define that in all sorts of various ways. And all of the other kinds of people who are not as good as us or not as smart as us or haven't been raised in the way that we've been raised, what we're going to do is simply keep them on the outside so that they don't mess up what's on the inside. So the last thing we do is we, we close the door. We're filled here with a whole bunch of these, these arrogant and judgmental people. And then we do and just throw away the key. Which actually I am going to need in a minute, so let's, I don't want to like misplace that. But you end up so you you end up saying that to and looking out at the world as if you know this is the story. The people who are in are in, and the people who are out, you know, it's actually better for us. So you know, barbed wire, chain, lock, the whole nine yards, just to make sure we keep them out. So people look at that and they go, well, obviously this is a such an exclusivist kind of religion for just the right kind of people. I don't even want to be with those kinds of people. But you see, what if we actually got it all wrong? Because this isn't the picture that Jesus paints at all. When you get into the scriptures, any idea associated with the fence or the gate or, or us being somehow behind bars, it's a story about all of humanity being stuck behind bars. For instance, the Apostle Paul, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one righteous. All throughout the scriptures, what we find out is that there aren't the haves and the have-nots. All of humanity is a have-not. Every single person stands judged before God because we have sinned. We have rebelled and we have turned our backs. We have not done the good we ought to have done. And we have done wrong that we shouldn't have done. All of us are behind the gate. But that's because we're locked in a cage. We're in a prison of our own making. None are righteous. None deserve God's mercy. None deserve to get to the other place, in fact, and then eventually we start to look off into the distance and it starts to dawn on us. They're right, because there is another land off in the distance that our soul longs for and we all feel it deep inside. We all know that we want something else. We know we're going through our lives trying to accumulate and trying to become and trying to get the status and trying to pursue enjoyment because we're actually longing for something we see off in the distance but is just outside our grasp. And we can't get there because, of course, the fence is preventing us. But there is hope. Paul also says, "...for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Listen, all have sinned, but all can be justified. Everyone has a chance now. And it's a redemption that came from Jesus Christ. So we have this idea that we've got this wall and this this thing and we're separating people out and there's gates and there's there's locks and it's all true. It is actually a part of our real experience. But Jesus comes on the scene and he says, listen, consider like Matthew chapter 7. He says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And so Jesus says, listen, it's true. There is a fence and you are locked in a prison. But there is a gate. You see, you you went the whole circumference of the fence and you didn't see anything. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, no, listen, there is a gate. I'm actually the answer that you need. There is a gate that has been torn open in this wall. And don't worry about the lock because I am actually the key. What if this radically inclusive invitation, not based on your race, not based on your socioeconomic status, not based on your gender or what religion you were born into or what caste your society has forced you into. What if it doesn't matter how you were raised? You could have been raised by a crack addict or by some abusive sperm donor. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how good looking you are. It doesn't matter how talented you are. What if it doesn't actually even matter how good you are or how bad you are? See, from God's vantage point, none of us deserve his mercy, but Jesus gave it anyway. You see, the, the, the playing field has been leveled. Every single person now has access to the gate. And we've seen this. He says it in a different way in Luke chapter 13. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he doesn't answer the question directly. Are only a few going to be saved? He says, listen, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Make every effort. Work at it. Try hard to make certain you find that gate. Because he knows that through the gate is life and life eternal. But then he goes on to say, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Christianity has reached people all over the globe, every tongue, every tribe. There is hope because now there is a gate and there is a key. And though it is true that only one key fits that lock, Jesus says, every single person can have that key. Everyone, no matter what. The worst of sinners to those we call saints, everyone can have the key by trusting in Jesus. So is this an exclusive claim absolutely not he does warn us he does say listen you want to you want to you want to find the gate because of course one day the gate will be closed he's speaking about your death because life is tenuous it is uncertain and we are not promised anything but this very day and so he does warn us but the warnings aren't because of all the obstacles that he is going to put in the way we see it throughout the scriptures it's hard to enter because people refuse to walk through it, not because he's blocking the way. In Revelation, he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Matthew 7, a similar idea. Knock and the door will be open to you. Over and over again, Jesus is saying, I am opening the door. Does this sound exclusivist? Anyone and everyone is welcome to enter through the narrow gate. And many will refuse, but that is their decision, not his. Think of yourself. What's keeping you back? It isn't actually Jesus. It's your own desires. It's your own own plan for your life. It's your own self-will. It's your own refusal to follow along in his way. It's not him making the block. So here's the thing. There is... A great hope found in Christ's inclusive invitation. If we follow and we trust him. And my motivation here isn't to argue with you and it's certainly not to offend you. This isn't simply an academic debate about different religions or anything like that. You see the Christian faith isn't merely about what we believe. It's about a relationship with the God of the universe who desperately loves you and he wants you to come home. That's the message of Easter that he was willing to do anything it took to restore the relationship and to rip open a gate. Good Friday about the death of Christ and Easter about his resurrection. So he has power over death and the promise that he will give us power over death as well. And these are high stakes kinds of questions about eternity. And we want you to consider this invitation that Jesus is extending to you. I want to share a story with you about a dear friend of ours who heard the invitation of Jesus and responded in time. Elise.
2: Hi, I am Lisa Bianchi, and I am Elise's firstborn daughter.
3: So my name is Christine, and I am Elise Wager's daughter. Hi, my name is Sarah Barahona, and Elise was my nana.
0: When she was a little girl, she had a very close relationship with Jesus. She even thought she wanted to become a nun at a very young age when she was 16. I think things changed for her because she lost her mom. When she
2: married our stepfather, she decided to convert to Judaism. And she went through the whole sequence of learning Hebrew and she got a Hebrew name and I think it was Sheva. We had a kosher household for about a year, which was very stressful for two Italian kids.
0: That didn't work for very long. I guess I want to say maybe maybe about 15 years. But she was just going through the motions. She was just doing it. There was no relationship. It was just ritualistic. So she started seeking Buddhism, um, different things that would give her energy to change. This went on for years. She had her little
2: singing bowls. Um, She would travel with some of her girlfriends every once in a while and she was learning more about different religions and she always had different books in the house and she was always reading something and learning something and she practiced yoga and she learned Reiki and it was all kind of ways for her to center herself.
0: So he just like taking a little bit from here and taking a little bit from here and from here. I guess in 2000 and when did we come here? 2007. I dragged her here. So being baptized was uh, monumental for her.
3: My grandma always loved telling the story of when she first realized that Jesus was the only way to salvation. She was considering getting baptized and Robert called her for her baptism interview and she always loved telling the story that she was sitting in the parking garage at her job and it was storming outside and she's on the phone with him and he's telling her in this simple way how, how Jesus' sacrifice was the only way for salvation. That was the first time for her that it, that it clicked.
0: That was huge. That was really, really huge to see her baptized because she had tried so many different faiths. Um, This was huge for her because it felt like she was coming home. You know, that lost (laughs) sheep that finally came home. Yeah, that was her.
2: And I was happy for her. And I saw such a peace in her and such happiness in her. Um, my mother wore her heart on her sleeve. She wore her heart. You could see when she was happy in her face. Her whole face lit up.
3: After she started following Jesus, you definitely saw like a shift in parts of her life. It was a confidence she had never had in the past with the other religions she dabbled with. You know, she was never as passionate about those things. It was things that she like, liked and knew and understood because she enjoyed doing research and, you know, learning things. She loved to learn things. But with, with Jesus, she had she had a confidence and she had a love for Him. She knew Him and she loved Him. After a while, it was
0: no longer just about
3: what she learned. It was
0: about s- spreading the gospel and, and loving the community that she was in.
3: She definitely brought Christ in, into her workplace. She was a social worker. So I know she would like pray for for and with the kids that she was working with. And she had such a heart to share Jesus with people and like want to see people healed, especially like when she saw people that were hurting. So even though she's no longer with us and she, she's gone, you know, her impact of following Christ is still like, trickle down amongst our family, you know. She came to Christ with my aunt and uncle. They they came here together to Beacon and found Jesus, and then I came and found Jesus, and um, just The way that God has moved in our family has has been really cool. There was one point where we were all working in Kids Quest at some time. Me, my aunt, my cousin, and my grandma.
0: When uh, Elise died, she didn't have a uh, a funeral or a memorial service. She had a celebration of life. Normally at, at these things, people will celebrate the life that somebody lived but it's the life that's now lost. And there's this overtone of of grieving what's been lost. And while there there were moments of that at at Elisa's service, the the general overtone was different because we were celebrating not the life that was lost, but this new life that she found in Jesus, this life that was awaiting for her even still. You know, I know where she is. And that that gives us a lot of peace because we know that. We will
1: see her again. My soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, and you are mine, I've been trying to answer some questions this morning, but really, Elisa's story tells it to us. She, She came home. And then she she went home to be with her Savior. But I want to end here with a question for you. What does this actually mean? So if Jesus is right, if what he says is true, then this is really genuinely high stakes kinds of stuff. And it does matter. And you owe it to yourself to make sure that you are on the correct side of this thing. And I want to talk to, to you here this morning, our guests and those who are kinda of just checking things out, if you're a doubter, if you're a skeptic, if, you're, if you just haven't explored Christianity, maybe you don't even think of yourself as, as really skeptical, but you haven't explored, run this thing down. We'd also encourage you to consider coming out to Alpha. It's a great opportunity for those who are asking questions, trying to figure things out. Come on out to Alpha and let that be. Now, for those of you who already trust in Christ, I hope this Easter that you are deeply grateful for the gift of life that Jesus has given to you. And I want to encourage you not to let it just rest with you. I encourage you to pray. Pray for people who are yet far from God. They have misconceptions about who he is and what he said, and, and they have they've grown up with a harsh view of God or about this restricted view of Jesus. And it's just, it isn't who Jesus is. Help them see it through the way you live and the way you pray and tell others about your hope in Christ because you might be the only Jesus that they see. So represent him well. Let me pray for us. Lord, what we're asking for is that you would teach us what it is you need us to know, that you meet each one where we're at because, Lord, this is more than simply something in our minds. This is something also deeply in our souls, Father, that you're drawing us you through the love that comes through Christ. We have the resurrection power that is represented here at Easter, and we thank you for the hope that you've given to us. We're praying, Father, for each person here. You know where they're at, and you know what their struggles are. You know where their doubts have been. You know where they've come from and what they've been taught. Lord, I'm asking that you would just meet each person here in a unique way. Reveal yourself as you have to us, is the God who desperately loves us with open hands and open arms, inviting us into the fullness of life. I pray, Lord, that their own frustration, resistance, rebellion would cease. They would come to know and love you.